Why would God's word come to a complete halt? Well, there was this different kind of a battle. Internal strife happens. See, in a church, there might be a church quarrel, and the devil is kind of neutral, but he he still supplies the ammo for both sides of a church quarrel. Uh, The devil will often join the ranks of the church. I've said it before, and some people have always said, well, why do you, well, you know, can the devil join the church? Well, we, he's not going to sign up in membership, but he will get in to do what he can. One of the most distinctive characteristics of the church is supposed to be the love and unity between its members. Our purpose as a body is to glorify God and carry His gospel to the world around us. But when we allow division to arise amongst us, the work God has called us to will stop. As Pastor Mark warns in today's message, you have to be on constant alert against our cunning enemy. He easily comes in and infiltrates our ranks, bringing controversy and conflict where there should be none. As you walk in Christ, make sure that you are a proponent of unity and love with your fellow believers. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 for today's edition of Come Alive. Nehemiah chapter 5, if you guys will turn in your Bibles there. And while you're turning there, over the last couple of weeks in Nehemiah, we have basically seen that there were these attacks against God's people. Uh, They were trying to build a wall. You know, when you build a wall, it's not easy to do. It's not that you just take a bunch of bricks and you stack it on the ground. You've got to dig out some dirt. You've got to build a foundation. You kind of got to go low. And so it's a little tough. But what they were building isn't a wall from scratch. They were rebuilding a wall that had been torn down. It had been burned. Their city had been sacked. And so if you remember from the beginning, Nehemiah had prayed. He had heard some news about the city of where he came from, and it, it bothered him so much, he wept, and so he began to pray. And then four months later, he decides to talk to the, the king. And so he asked the king for permission because his face was long, and so it was about four months. So we, saw, we talked about back then that his prayer was a four-month prayer. He prayed probably every day that the Lord would provide an opportunity for him to be able to do something or that the Lord would show him something. And when we were there, we talked about how we need to be people of prayer and doing those things, how we need to be those who really seriously just kind of pray and spend some time on our knees with the Lord. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen that there were those attacks against God's people. They were trying to build a wall around the city. The people needed to be protected from the enemy that is on the outside. But we've also seen some problems on the inside. Uh, The fear that a few rumors can cause Uh, We saw how it kind of began or how the enemy tried to stop the work. And now we see that there was a division the last time we met together of what others say. And so we've also seen threats of war and attack. Yet the people kept on with the work of the Lord. They kept on doing God's work. They worked with the sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. They kept on going. They were willing to fight and they were willing to work. But when we come to chapter 5... 
Well, we saw that it was a little different, so we're picking up in chapter 5 this week. But as we look at chapter 5, what you'll notice, or maybe what you'll see that's not happening, is the work, well, there was not one bit of work accomplished. And so the work stops. And as you read this, as any good student of study would do, is ask a question is, why? Why would the work stop? Why would God's work come to a complete halt? Well, there was this different kind of a battle. Internal strife happens. See, in a church, there might be a church quarrel, and the devil is kind of neutral, but he he still supplies the ammo for both sides of a church quarrel. Uh, The devil will often join the ranks of the church. I've said it before, and some people have always said, well, why do you, well, you know, can the devil join the church? Well, we, he's not going to sign up in membership, but he will get in to do what he can. He joins the ranks, like in Acts chapter 6. A dispute arose in the church. There was a widow problem, a problem uh, happening then during the growth of the church. It was growing, it was doing good stuff, it was working, it was doing what it was supposed to do, but Satan doesn't want this church or any other church, or our church to grow. So he does his best to slow it or stop it. Or what he does is he tries to get the people who are that call the church a home church or the members of a church to do as little as possible. And we've thrown this question at you before. And the question is, what if, and, and ask yourself this, if everyone served the way I serve, what would this church, our church, Calvary Katy, look like? If everyone served the way you do, what would it look like? Or would it meet every Sunday? Or would it have things going on? So, you know, some of you would say, man, I serve every Sunday. What it would look like if everyone served the way I would serve, it would look great. Some might be saying, well, I don't serve every Sunday. I've got other things I'd rather do, and that's fine. But that's a good question to ask because I have to ask myself that question all the time. See, what stops growth in a child or in a living being? Well, malnutrition does. Not getting what is needed nor giving it to those who need it. I, I spoke with a gentleman last night, which was kind of funny. We went to a, 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 an event and I sat next to somebody and he goes, oh, so you're a pastor of a church? I said, yes. And he goes, I, I really thought, and he, he named some baseball player that I looked like, and he goes, I really thought you were the brother of so-and-so, and, and the World Series was on, and I started laughing. And he goes, do you get that a lot? And I said, no, I usually get that I look like the lead singer from Metallica when I wear a baseball hat. I would rather have that, though, but if you think I look like some baseball player, cool. But we were, started chatting, we started talking, and he said, you know, at my church, we got a great pastor. I'm really being fed there. And I go, awesome. What book are you going through? And he goes, freedom. And I'm like, freedom? Freedom? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, we're, you know, and he goes, what book are you guys going through? And I go, Nehemiah. And he goes, oh, in the Bible? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a little different, you know, type of a deal, but malnutrition nonetheless. You know, when we pick up a book off of the bookshelf over there and we start going through it, let me encourage you people to walk out the door. That is not the book we need to go through. This is the book we need to go through. It's our owner's manual. So malnutrition is not getting what is needed or nor giving to those who need it. Uh, there's a story 
in the Gospel Tribune about a church in North Dakota. This church was part of a huge revival back in the days, but if you were to drive up to the building today, what you would notice would be broken windows, uh, dilapidated shingles, and the steeple's a little crooked. The steps are sagging, and you would see that the building is dilapidated and run down. There, the paint's chipped and coming off, and on the inside it's trashed. And you might ask, what happened? Some might think it outgrew its building because of the great revival. You know, a lot of people, I mean, this church had hundreds and hundreds and even at one point thousands going to it. So some people think that it just outgrew its building, but that's not what happened. Somebody did some research and they found out this church experienced a division. Two leading families in this church began to splinter and have a conflict. Attendance dropped and eventually the church died. Last time we met, we talked about an injustice anywhere was a threat to justice everywhere. And so remember, their food supply, the, the, the people in, in the story that we're reading today in Nehemiah chapter 5, their food supply was down. There was a tax burden, a famine, and large families could not support themselves, and slavery was rampant. And it seemed that the rich were getting richer and the poor, well, they weren't getting anywhere. But let's see how Nehemiah responds to confronting those who were wrong. Remember, Nehemiah was angry, not because he was having a bad day or because just things weren't going his way. He was angry because these people were willfully disobeying the law. We talked about what that law was last time we met. It was a righteous anger. We talked about that, how some people are afraid to be angry in the church. There are some pastors who say that you shouldn't be. That goes against the command that Jesus gives, be angry, but do not sin. We are allowed to be angry. So Nehemiah's anger is that allowable anger. It was a righteous anger. He was a little torqued because someone was viciously preying on others. Remember, he was angry because of the way they were treating their God. It's, it's one of those things where you and I, when we see somebody treating our God badly, or his word badly, that we should be a little angered. See, he's mad at what sin has produced. Look with me at verse 7 in chapter 5 in Nehemiah, and we'll dig in. It says, After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I called a great assembly against them. So here's what Nehemiah does, and I love the way the King James Version puts this. It says, then I consulted with myself. I consulted with myself, or after some serious thought, he rebukes the elders. He was angry, but he didn't lose control. He paused, and let me say this, when you get angry, if it's a righteous anger or any kind of an anger, it's always good to kind of pause, don't lose control. He paused, he collected himself, he reasoned with himself, he thought things through to a logical conclusion before he did anything, Nehemiah was silent. I really like that. You know, there's power in silence. When I messed up, my dad got silent, and I knew I was in trouble. He would just, I would do something. One time I came home with an a, a electric blue mohawk, and I sat down at the dinner table, and he was talking, and he was coming around the corner, and he didn't see me, and I thought, man, he's going to think I'm really cool. He's going to like that I'm an individual, that I conform to nothing. And I remember my stepmom looked, and she just kind of giggled, and he walked around the corner, and he was talking to her, and he looked over at me, and he finished saying what he needed to say to her, and then he stared right at me and got real quiet. 
He just stared, and then he looked down like at the top of his brow, and I was like, oh, man, what have I done? He served up some food on a plate, and he said, go eat in the bathroom. And I was like, what? So I thought that would be cool. That would be real punk rock to eat in the bathroom. But there was power in silence. I knew he didn't have to say a whole lot. He didn't yell. He didn't do anything. He just got really quiet, and he just stared at me. It's amazing what that can do. See, I'm sure Nehemiah, he paused and he talked to God about it. That was just his style. He prayed. So in the silence, the crowd saw a very powerful message, and that was this guy thinking about what he was going to do and how he's going to go about it. James tells us, let every man be swift to hear and what? Slow to speak and slow to wrath. Be, be quick to hear. This was great leadership from Nehemiah. He was a man passionate enough to get angry, but wise enough not to act until he had considered the matter carefully. Notice it said he rebuked the offenders. What we see next is this loving, compassionate heart of a child of God. Now you might say, well, nobody likes to be rebuked. That is true, but true love rebukes. True love just doesn't say, well, I'm not going to get in their business. If you really love someone, you're not going to allow them to do something that causes harm to themselves or anyone else. So he rebukes the offenders. And, and we see that this is a loving, compassionate heart of the child of God. He does this publicly. He does it publicly. And you talk about accountability. Nehemiah teaches us the, the way a leader should approach the problems is head on. We should face them. A lot of us tend to want to run away from them. Uh, my go-to is always just leave it alone and take a nap. But when I wake up, the problem's still there. So I might as well just face it head on and be done. And that way I tend to sleep a little better in the nap. Look at the second half of verse 7. It says, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. The word usury is interest that is either too high or should not be charged at all. The Bible says it is wrong to make money off of someone's financial need. If someone needs money for the most basic needs of life, they should be given money, it not be loaned to them at an interest. And we saw when we looked up in Deuteronomy, and you can take a look in Leviticus as well, but of course loaning money at an interest is permitted uh, by the Hebrews for things that are not absolute necessities. Yet God's people must always use great wisdom and self-control when borrowing money. And that's where we talked about last week, going back and saying, hey, you might want to seek counsel on this. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have to ask anyone. It's my money. And then what happens is you might get in the bind and you come to someone and go, man, you know, just can you, hey, I need help doing this. Maybe you're not asking for a loan from someone else. And I'll always say this, never loan money to a guy to pay off a loan. Because all you're doing is hindering. You're causing bigger problems for that individual. It's better just to say, sorry, man, I'll pray for you. Uh, or you know what? Some, sometimes I have to tell people when, when they tell me they're in financial need, it's like, well, bro, you might want to go ahead and get another job. Well, dude, man, I'll be worn out. Should have thought about that before you took out loans. See, certain loans are fine, home loans and maybe a car loan. But when you start to get too many of those things, when you always have to have the new and you start to get upside down and stuff, you better be careful. Be careful. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 tells us here, it says, And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? 
Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And then I said, what are you doing is not good. What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? So here, thinking about this, when you love someone and they know you love them and they feel secure in your love, you can actually tell them anything you want. You can tell them anything you want. And they'll know it's from your heart and out of love and and that you're not retaliating. And so this is one of those things when you truly love someone, a husband and a wife, when they truly sit down and there's no arguing going on and they say something, you can tell them you should be able to say, hey, here's what's going on. My wife had done this to me one time and, and, you know, she just said, hey, let me just tell you some stuff. And she told me, and I had to sit and listen. As much as I wanted to open my mouth and try to justify what I was doing, it was better for me to sit and listen. I didn't get angry, but I had to really understand that what she was saying was out of a heart of love because she loved me. And I knew that it was from her heart that she wasn't trying to retaliate in any way. And so you accept them because they are important to you. They know you, and and you know you can tell them anything. They feel your love. And so he tells them in love and in care. And and note also what Nehemiah does, that when Judah was conquered, he he mentions that many Jews were sold as slaves to foreigners, and many of them had been bought out of slavery by other Jews. So he says, we've redeemed them. We've bought them out of slavery. We brought them back. And so because of this, it was very wrong to have Jews being sold into slavery to other Jews because they couldn't pay off the high-interest loans. That's what he's saying. He's like, we bought them back, and you're making them pay you back for something. That's not right. So he accuses them of usury and slavery, and they kind of hang their head in silence. Look at verse 9. It says, should you not walk in the fear of our God? He plays the God card, which he should. We should always play that card. This is, see, this is where many business deals or any kind of a deal usually goes wrong before God because there's no regard for God's, well, will or wisdom. A lot of people just want to get into business to make money. And you might think, well, isn't that what you get into business for? No. That's part of it. That's not the whole part. So you get into business and so, well, so you can do something, so you can provide a service. And yes, you should be paid a worker's worthy of his wages, the Bible says. But when we get greedy, see, the only concern here is, is if a deal can be made, if money will come from it, not if it's right or wrong. And a lot of times people get into business deals and they don't consider, oh, if it's right or wrong. Will God like this? Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to serve them, this group of people, this? Am I supposed to be in business with this people? You need to see if it's right or wrong. And he accuses them of losing their distinctives. He's saying the Gentiles are looking at you and they're thinking you're just like everyone else. Let me ask you this. When you tell someone you're a Christian, do they see the difference between you and everyone else? Uh, You can have all the plaques and all the signs in your house you want that say, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. But that's just a sign. Is that truly what you do? Do you truly serve the Lord with your life? And so he accuses them of losing their distinctives. And so he says, you know, the the outside world, the enemy, the Gentiles, they think we're just like them. And you shouldn't be 
And he's telling them, you're acting that way. See, you and I as Christians, and, and these guys as well in this book, they, they should be living by different standards, or at least they're supposed to be. See, the enemy could sit back and say, we don't even have to attack. That's what's happening here. There's no threat from the enemy at this point. There's no work going on. So the enemy just sits back and says, dude, check it out. We don't even have to attack. All we got to do is sit back and watch them destroy themselves. Watch them nitpick each other to death. The work has stopped. Nobody's doing anything. Let them at each other. Let them have at it. Do you know who applauds the loudest when there's a division in a church? Unbelievers. The unbelievers applaud the loudest. They say, man, see, told you. The, the, you'll see it all the time. You'll see these guys and they talk about love and love on TV and then all of a sudden they're disputing with one another, they're fighting with one another. They say, you know, Christians preach love all day long, but they just don't know how to do it. And, and that's true. For the most part, we preach love all day long, we just don't know how to do it. See, by our deeds, we either give ammunition to the enemy or we disarm them. You can give ammo to them by what we do or we can disarm them by what we do. What are we doing? But I'll say this, it's up to you. It'll be up to you. See, Nehemiah did not just speak to the law, but he also spoke to these people's values and their principles, their distinctives. What makes them distinct from everyone else? What makes you distinct from everyone else? If you got a foul attitude, if you got a bad mouth, so a direct confrontation. See, what Nehemiah does, and nobody likes this, but he ran to the action. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't mumble under his breath. He didn't walk around grouchy and all anal retentive about the whole thing. He just, he went to it. Look at verse 10. It says, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Whoa. What? Nehemiah is upset, but now we find out here from this. So we see from confrontation to a confession. And I truly love this. Nehemiah just doesn't point the finger, because when you point the finger, there's three pointing back at you. And so he realizes that, well, you know what? I'm just as guilty. That's what he's saying. In verse 10, I'm just as guilty. See, they were guilty of putting their personal prosperity before other people's well-being. Let me say this. You know, the only time in church history in which the church has really been godly and really, really strong have been the times when it goes out and it rubs elbows with the poor and it helps them. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking through the book of Nehemiah, revealing God's provision and plans for his people and for you as you continue to follow him today. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor Mark or the Come Alive ministry, head to our website, comealiveradio.com. There you'll also find an archive of our teachings, as well as a link to the church this program originates from, Calvary Chapel, Katy. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. 
Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. That phone number again is 281-391-5503. We want to know how we can be praying for you as well, so please let us know when you call. Prayer is powerful, and we are honored to be able to do this for our listeners. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us next time to keep learning from Nehemiah. That's right here on Come Alive.